So today we're in the Gospel of Mark. We're in week number four. We've been going through this series, just sort of slowly getting through the, the, the second gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We learned in week one that Mark is the shortest of the four gospels. And, so, and you're going to see it today. It kind of reads a little bit more like a movie script. Uh, Mark, the author, is, is, he's not wasting any time. So if you have ADD, Mark is the gospel for you. He goes through it really fast. He, he's, he, really, he actually spends a lot less time talking about the teachings of Jesus compared to some of the other gospels. Um, but some of the stories that we read in here are just so cool. And today we're going we're gonna to continue on. Last week we looked at how Jesus gets us, that Jesus was baptized. And immediately after his baptism, he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. And so we understand that Jesus gets us. He gets what we're going through. He, he's experienced some of the temptations that we experience, some of the trials that we experience, except he passed the test. We don't always pass the test, right? But Jesus did. So today we're going to, as we continue on, we're going to be covering chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. And today we're, we're going to talk a little bit about the upside-down kingdom. So let's go straight to it, verses 14 and 15. We actually ended last week taking a look at these verses, but we have to come back to it because 14 and 15 are verses sort of the bridge from the previous section, his baptism and temptation, but then it also kind of bridges into this new section that, go, that goes all the way up to verse 20. So here's what it says. Later on, after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. So see, once again, movie script. It's like we're going from his baptism to his temptation, and all of a sudden, he's already preaching the gospel. I mean, look, we're only 14 verses into the gospel of Mark, and we've covered his birth, his baptism, his temptation, and now he's out there preaching the good news. And here's what he said, the time promised by God has come at last. So this was something that the Jewish people were expecting, the, they, were, they were waiting for this, this Messiah figure to come. They didn't know what it was going to look like, but they were waiting for this Messiah to come. And, and Jesus is saying the time promised by God has come at last. So all these generations have waited for this. It's kind of like Bears fans waiting to make the playoffs again. I see all of you people, well, not all of you, but some of you, you're sporting your, we had Bills fans and Cowboys fans and Niners fans and all that kind of stuff, and I'm just, here I am, without any Bears gear on, because once again, we didn't make it into the playoffs, but the time promised by God has come at last, Jesus says, this is a little bit more important than the NFL, and everybody said, amen, amen. yeah, some of you are like, we're so done with the NFL, okay, whatever, I'll move on, and he says this. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. I want to highlight some words here as we read through this because it's so easy to read this and just to pass it over, not to dwell on it, not to think about it, not to really understand what Jesus is talking about. The first thing that jumps out is this, this phrase, the kingdom of God. You know, we as Americans, we don't really relate to kingdoms. We don't have a king. I don't know what you guys think about the whole king business in Great Britain, I think it's weird, personally, that in 2023, these people would have kings and princes and princesses and stuff like that. Is it just me who thinks this is just a little bit weird? No, it's everybody. Please, it's all of us? Yes, amen. We're, and all the Americans said, amen, yeah. But we need to think about this for a second as Christians. Because as Christians, we're a part of a kingdom. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're a part of the kingdom of God. You've moved over 
Another passage says, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We're a part of God's kingdom. Now, we're going to talk more about this because this is actually a theme. This idea of the kingdom is a theme all throughout the Gospels, and especially the Gospel of Mark. So we're going to spend a lot more time talking about the kingdom. This is kind of almost really an introduction to the kingdom of God, what it's all about, how to be a part of it, how to get included, and who God includes. That's what we're going to be talking about today, because that's kind of what Jesus is dealing with in these verses. And he says these two things, and these two words are really important for us as followers of Jesus. He says, repent and believe. I want us to pause and think about those words for a second. Again, I want everyone to really think about these words. Because to be a part of the kingdom of God requires these two things. Repent and believe. Some people think that to be a Christian or be a part of the kingdom of God or to be able to go to heaven someday, that what is required is that you do all these things. You kind of have like this this checklist of things. You have to do this and that and the other thing. And, And that maybe if you do just the right stuff and if you live a good, clean life that that you'll make it into the kingdom of heaven. There are a lot of churches that teach that. There are a lot of religions that believe that. But that's actually not what Jesus teaches. Look, it doesn't say anything about what you're doing. It says about, it's talking about repentance and faith. Now, I always like to explain repentance to people because some people are confused about that. In fact, just last night, Tracy and AJ and I, we watched a, a movie, Father Stew, on Netflix. It was about this, priest. It seemed like one of the few things we could watch. It was about this, this priest and um, this guy that was a boxer and he was just kind of this rough, kind of an athe- he was an atheist. He was an atheist really. But long story short, he meets, he meets God and he becomes a Catholic priest. And it's interesting because even in that you can see some of the ideas of what Catholics would call penance which is, which is a little bit related to the idea of repentance. And, and so some people, think that, some people think that when Jesus says repent and believe, that he, what he's talking about is, hey, look, you need to stop doing all the stuff you used to do, and you need to start doing the stuff I want you to do now, and once you've done enough of it, I'll know that you're serious. Once you've done enough of the right stuff, then, then, then maybe I'll accept you into my kingdom. That's what a lot of people believe. That's a lot of... A lot of people have this vision of God that that's, that's kind of the deal that we have to make with God is, okay, God, I'll, I'll stop doing all the bad stuff and I'll start doing the better stuff and would you just let me know when I've done enough? It's like these cosmic scales, right? That, that here's all this stuff that's this bad in my life that outweighs all the good. But now, now that I've met Jesus, I'm gonna start doing the good stuff and maybe the, at some point I'm gonna tip the scales and the good stuff is gonna outweigh the bad stuff and then I get to be a part of God's kingdom. Now, as I'm explaining this, some of you are probably sitting there thinking, well, what's wrong with that? That, that is right. That's everything you just said. That sounds about right. That, I think that's how the whole thing works, right? Actually, let's look at what Jesus says. He says, repent of your sins and believe the good news. When he uses the word repentance, literally the word is metanoia, which means a change of mind. So repentance is this. Repentance is I was going this way. My, my, the attitude of my life, the, the, the trajectory of my life was going this way. And repentance is to do a 180 in my mind and in my heart. Repentance is to do a 180 and now I'm going this way. Now I'm looking at Christ and I'm saying, I want to go your way now. 
I'm turning my back on my way and I'm turning toward your way. That's repentance. Now notice I haven't done a thing yet. I haven't done a single thing. It's just a, years ago we, as a staff, we, we really spent a lot of time thinking about what's a good word for repentance? Like what's a non-churchy word for repentance? Because we wanted to make sure to explain it clearly to people. And so the word we came up with, and I still think it's the best word, is attitude change. Repentance is an attitude change. Notice I haven't done anything. Now I've just, I was facing that way and now I'm facing this way. I've repented and believed in Jesus, but I haven't even taken one step yet. I haven't done one good thing yet. And yet, Jesus says, I get to be a part of his kingdom once I've repented and believed. Now, don't get me wrong. I think those works will come. I think those actions will come. I think doing good things, that's called the fruit of repentance. That should, that should be evident over time in my life. But God is not waiting for me to do all these things to prove that I really repented and believed. God gives us entrance into the kingdom of heaven the moment we have that attitude change and that faith in Jesus. I love that. And that's why he calls it the good news. This is good news. Here's what's bad news. Bad news is keep working on it and I'll let you know. That's bad news. Because people who follow that kind of a religion, that kind of a faith, like how could you ever know? To me, that would just be, that would just be this, this weight, this incredibly oppressive weight of pressure and anxiety. Because I'll never, especially me, I kind of have a guilty conscience. I would like never know if I did enough. Like if, have I ever gotten there? Did I do enough? Have, has, my, has my good outweighed my bad yet, God? When will you let me know? But the good news of the gospel is that we enter into the kingdom of heaven only through repentance and faith. The moment that we place our faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says we have entrance into the kingdom of heaven. That's good news. That's the good news of the gospel. By the way, if you're here today and that's news to you, we'd love for you to stick around and talk with us because we want to help you, help you to come to that place of repentance and faith. And we move on, and, and as Jesus moves on in this section, he tells us about the king's people. He tells us about the kind of people that Jesus wants in his kingdom. Because that's a natural question, like, who's Jesus after? What kind of people does he invite into his kingdom? It says in verse 16, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and this is, by the way, where he's from, so Galilee is, is kind of his home region. So he's just hanging out in his home region. This is the place where he did his first miracle, the miracle of the water into wine. But it says that he saw Simon and his brother Andrew. Now Simon, you might not recognize that name, but Simon, later Jesus gives Simon the name Peter. So Simon Peter. Now I always thought that Jesus was one of those guys that loved to give people nicknames. And I always thought that it was funny that he gave Simon the nickname Peter. Because Peter literally, the, literally the word is Petros or rock. So he says, no, you're not Simon anymore. I'm going to call you the rock. What a cool nickname, huh? You're going to be the rock from now on. And I'm sure that the other disciples kind of laughed a little bit at that because Peter was the furthest thing from a rock of any of those guys. 
Peter was the guy, Peter's life was like, like when I think about rock, I'm thinking like steady as a rock, right? Like just steady and immovable and solid and like foundational. And Peter was the opposite. Peter was like this. He was just the guy, he's the guy that cut off Malchus's ear, the Roman soldier's ear. He was the guy that told Jesus, I'll never leave you, I'll never, I'll never betray you. And then he betrays him and the rooster crows three times. That's the Peter guy. Peter's the guy who runs out when Jesus walks to them on the water and they're in the boat. He jumps out of the boat and starts running out to Jesus on the water. That's the guy. By the way, if you don't know that story, he was actually walking on the water like Jesus until he realized he was walking on the water like Jesus. And then he's like, what is going on right here? And he started sinking. This is Peter, like anything but a rock. Well, I guess he sank like a rock. But anything like a rock, but I love that Jesus calls these guys, and he, he sees Simon and his brother Andrew, and he, he sees them throwing a net into the water because they fish for a living, and he called out to them, and he said, come, follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. So Jesus, Jesus calls fishermen. Now, if Je- think about Jesus like a CEO. If Jesus was the CEO and he's starting, he's starting this, he's got this cool new startup, what kind, of, what kind of executives does he want to gather around himself? Today's executives, they're going to like really think about, they're going to want the smartest, they're going to want the best and the brightest. You'd be kind of foolish not to do that. But Jesus shows up, he's walking along the shores of the Sea of Galilee and he picks like ordinary fishermen, dumb as rocks. Like these, these guys probably didn't, couldn't even read. They were not educated. They were completely ordinary, regular people. And this is who Jesus decided to call to be in his inner circle, to be his executives, Simon and his brother, Andrew. And then as we read a little bit further, it says in verse 19, a little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. And he's going to call these two guys next. So his first four disciples, Simon and Andrew brothers, James and John brothers, but they're all fishermen, like regular, ordinary guys, not kings, not princes, not Pharisees, not, not seminarians, not educated, not wealthy. Like these guys, no offense, but these guys had like nothing going for them. And so Jesus invites them to come follow him. James and John, by the way, they get this nickname as well. Jesus likes to give out nicknames. And he called, anyone know what their nicknames were? Sons of Thunder. James and John were the sons of thunder. Now we don't exactly know why he called them that. They were men, so I have some ideas because I've been around men especially when they're just around men. You can think about that for a little bit. But I think, I think it's because there's this one story where they're walking through this town and the town rejects them. And James and John turned to Jesus and said, hey, I think you should call down fire from heaven on those guys. Like go all Sodom and Gomorrah on that town because they rejected us. I think that's when Jesus came up with a nickname. I, was, I think he was like, I think I'm gonna call you the sons of thunder. Like they didn't really understand his heart for people. They didn't, they were still learning. They were still learning what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. I mean, I think we all are a little bit. If you're here today and you would consider yourself a follower of Jesus, I know it's, it's a journey. It's a process. 
to walk and to see what Jesus, what really cares, what Jesus cares about, what matters to Jesus. And Peter and Andrew and James and John were learning that, that, that people matter to him. But it took him years to really understand that. And so Jesus calls, once again, just these ordinary guys, just these regular guys, not, nothing special about them. And he calls them to follow him. That's what his kingdom is about. Those are the kinds of people he invites. And then Paul, the Apostle Paul, explained it later like this in 1 Corinthians 1, and I love this passage. He says, and he's writing this to the church in Corinth, which was a really screwed up church. Like if, if ever I feel like our church is a little dysfunctional, I just spend some time reading 1 Corinthians and I feel way better about Alpine Church. Because the church in Corinth was really screwed up. But he says this, Paul writes, few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful, things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, And I love what he says here. And he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. He uses the foolish, the powerless, the despised things, the things that are counted as nothing to bring to nothing what the world considers important. You know what, Paul's writing this from a very personal place. Because Paul, before he met Jesus, Paul was a Pharisee. And Paul was... Paul was someone who considered himself to be very important. Paul Paul was a seminarian. He was very well educated. Paul was very zealous in his religion. Paul thought he was following the God of the universe, the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh. He thought he was following God. And he was actually persecuting Christians, this this little sect that grew up around this, this kind of strange carpenter's son who flamed out after just a few years of ministry because he died on a cross. So Paul was going around shutting down the Christian movement. And then if, you, if you've ever read the book of Acts, you'll read that he's on his way on the road to Damascus. He's on his way to shut down some more Christians when Jesus actually appeared to him. Jesus appeared to Paul and said, why are you persecuting me? And Paul realized that he was, he was wrong and those fishermen were right. Paul realized that, that even though he thought he was all that, he realized that he wasn't. In fact, in Philippians, he says, all that stuff that I used to consider to be to my credit, he says, now I consider it to be done. That's actually a, the translations that we have is cleaning the word up a little bit. It's a more colorful word in the original language that Paul uses there. He says, that's how I consider all that, all the the accolades and all my pedigree, everything on the wall. He says, now I realize that those are worthless compared to knowing Jesus. And so here Paul was, was, he was super religious, and yet he didn't know Jesus. You know, in this world, there are so many people who are so religious who don't actually know Jesus. There are people who study in seminary today. In, they're learning all this stuff. They're making New Testament or Old Testament a part of their life. It's what they study, and they don't even know 
Jesus. And Paul was one of those guys, and then he met Jesus. But you know what he did? To his credit, he repented and believed. See, so many people who are like that, like super religious people, that simple, that simple thing that you have to do to enter the kingdom of heaven, they can't do. Because if, if, if you're self-important, then you can't repent and believe. Because repenting means, ooh, oops, I was wrong. I was wrong. You, you were right and I was wrong. That's what Paul did. Paul, Paul thought he was right. And then he realized he was and he turned to Jesus in faith. And you know what he realized at that moment? He realized that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. He thought he, thought he was so much closer to God than a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors. And then Jesus forced him to hang out with those fishermen and tax collectors. Man, what I would have paid to see those early interactions of, of Paul with Peter and Andrew and James and John. Because Paul knew so much more than they did. But Jesus chose them just like he chose him. And that's the background for what Paul's writing here. Paul was the one who considered himself to be important until he met Jesus. So let's read that again. Fewer of you were wise in the world's eyes, Peter and Andrew, James and John, or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish. You fishermen, in order to shame those who think they were wise, that was me, Paul is saying. That was me. I thought I was wise. And he chose things that are powerless, you fishermen. They have no clout in society at all compared to him as a Pharisee. But they shamed him when he thought he was powerful. Things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all. And he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And again, I'm sure as the Holy Spirit is inspiring Paul to write those words. Paul's thinking about his own story and he's thinking, I thought I was so important and now I realize I'm not. This is good news. This is good news. Because, you know, when you, at first you start reading it, it t- maybe you kind of become self-aware after a minute and you realize that he's talking to us. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's talking to you. He's saying, You were foolish and powerless and despised and nothing, and yet God invited you to be a part of the kingdom of God. I love, I love this about God's kingdom, is that he chooses ordinary people. He invites ordinary people to become a part of this. If you're here today, I don't know where you would put yourself on that continuum. Maybe you feel really good about yourself, your pedigree, your upbringing, your wisdom, your intelligence. I don't know, maybe you're way over there. Or maybe you're way over here kind of on the fisherman side of things. You're like, I don't know that God could ever use a person like me. I just want you to know that scripture tells us that he uses all of us as long as we repent and believe. And it's a lot harder for the rich and powerful to repent, isn't it? That's why Jesus said it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven because it takes, it takes this kind of an attitude. It takes humbling ourselves. It takes letting someone else be the king. It takes letting somebody else be on the throne of our lives. And I think for Americans, that's hard because we don't like the idea of kings. I, I don't need a king. I'm in charge of my life. I declare my own independence. And I think God just laughs and smiles and he says, you'll get there, son of thunder, someday you'll get there. And here's what happens at the end of this section. 
So Jesus invites Peter and Andrew and James and John. Just a simple invitation. And I love how Mark says this. He doesn't, he just gets right to the point. And they left their nets at once and followed him. You know, in week one, we talked about how this is the action gospel and that 40 different times in the gospel of Mark, in 16 chapters, 40 different times, the word immediately or at once shows up. And here's one of them. They left their nets at once and followed him. And then there's another one in verse 20. And Jesus called James and John at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. And what I want you to think about here as we wrap up today is I want you to think about what the net represented to these fishermen. The net represented everything to them. That was their source of income. That was their source of identity. That was, that, that's where all their social connections were. That's where all their relationships were. This is what they were leaving. Again, we read this and we're like, oh, that's not that big of a deal. This was a huge deal. The sacrifice that these guys exhibited in order to follow Jesus, they left their nets. And then I, I like what verse 20 adds a little bit more to that, that actually James and John left their father. Look, leaving their father, Zebedee. They left the boat. They left the hired men. Like, they left family. They left relationships. They left employment. They left money. They left creature comforts. They left security. They left the known to enter the unknown. Like, this was a big deal what they did. They left their nets. And this is what, this is what we kind of want to challenge you with here at the end today. As we're thinking about the upside-down kingdom and, and how Jesus invites ordinary people to follow him, but that includes leaving nets, the question is, what is Jesus calling you to leave behind in order to follow him? What is he inviting you to let go of? What are you holding on to that's keeping you from following Jesus? Now, maybe for the first time, maybe some of you are here today, and you've been sort of dipping your toe in the water, and by the way, we're so glad you're here, like that's what... That's what we're about. We're about, we're not a closed community. Alpine Church isn't a closed community. It's not like, hey, we've got the guardrails up and we're checking, checking IDs at the door. Like, you, could, you gotta have the, the right handshake or the, the right card to get in. No, we're, like, we want people to come in and we want people to just sort of check things out. But if you've been checking things out, I think what you've learned is this is a community that's all about following Jesus. And we wanna invite you to follow Jesus but some of you might be here today and you haven't really made that decision yet. You haven't decided quite yet to follow Jesus. And, and maybe today you need to ask this question for yourself. What, what is the net that Jesus is asking me to leave? Maybe, it, maybe it's a relationship. We know that in 20 plus years of ministry here, Tracy and I have seen many families that when they've come to faith in Jesus Christ, it actually meant leaving their family. Because believe it or not, not every family is happy if you become a Christian. Not every family says, oh, that's so great that you're going to Alpine or that you've become a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus. Some families are threatened by that. In many cases, that's, that's been really the big question that people have, have to weigh. It's kind of this Zebedee question, like, am I willing to leave my father to follow Jesus? And that's a legitimate question. Now, again, that doesn't mean that we're saying you, you have to leave your family 
It's just that your family might not see things the way you see things when you see Jesus. And so then you have a decision to make. Am I gonna hold on to what's comfortable or am I gonna leave my nets and my boat and even my family if need be to follow Jesus? That's what the disciples did. Some of you, maybe it's just a calling like, like some of our pastors on our staff who have, most of our pastors on staff are ordinary guys, not even seminary trained. A lot of people don't even know that, but most of our pastors are not seminary trained. They're just called to ministry like Peter and Andrew and James and John. And we recognize the call to ministry on their life and they leave their nets. And almost every single one of our pastors on staff left a higher paying job to come on staff and work at Alpine Church. A lot of people don't know this, but, but Pastor Eric, he was, he's the pastor of, at our Riverdale campus. Pastor Eric, in his younger years, not only did drugs, but he sold drugs. And it turns out that when you sell drugs and get caught for it, you go to jail. Some of you need to write that down and be, make sure that you're aware of that. So Eric spent some time behind bars, and then he met Jesus. So he was leading our Brigham City campus for several years, and one of his overseers, one of his elders on his staff, was a former cop. So here we have a guy who's a former cop, who's older than Eric, who's submitting to the leadership of Eric, a guy who spent some time behind bars. This is the upside-down kingdom of God. I love that. This is one of my favorite stories on our staff, is to see that Eric raises up, an ex-con raises up a cop, and now when Eric went to Riverdale, Mike took the role at Brigham City, and now they're both pastors, and we have staff meetings every week together, and to see these two guys interact is so fun, to see the love that they have for each other, because both of them, no matter their background, both of them repented and believed, and that's why we sit at the same table. And just last week, one of the convicts that my, that Mike shot 15 years ago. He shot and thought he killed a guy who was in Brigham City years ago actually trying to, ha trying to enact a cop-assisted suicide. He had done some stuff, broke the law, and was, was like in the library parking lot in Brigham City shooting at anyone who, would, who he could shoot at. Mike was the first one on the scene. Mike didn't even know Jesus at the time. He was the first one on the scene and he took him out, shot him three times, thought he killed him, ended up retiring from the force because of that, because of all the, all the craziness and the pain that that brought into his life, thinking that he took someone else's life. This other guy actually survived and came to church last week Amen. at Mike's church. How, how about that for a story? This guy gets released from prison just last year, gets released from prison, and he wanted to seek out Mike to thank him, to thank him. And to see stories like this, this is the upside-down kingdom that we're a part of, that every one of us can experience the forgiveness. Every one of us can experience forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And every one of us is called to leave something behind in order to follow him. And I just want to challenge you today, if you're here today, and maybe today's the day when you want to follow him. Today's the day when you say, I'm, I want to follow that kind of a God, the kind of a God who gives everyone a chance, and he allows everybody to have a changed life. We'd love to talk with you about Jesus today. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that you are the God who calls 
fishermen and Pharisees. You are the God who calls ex-cons and cops. Lord, you are the God who invites everyone to have a second chance. And all it requires for us to be a part of your kingdom is to repent and believe. It's so simple and it's so hard. It's so hard because we want to be on the throne of our own lives. We want to be our own king. We don't want someone telling us what to do. But Jesus, you invite us to change our hearts and to change our minds. You invite us to turn 180 and to start looking in your direction. You invite us to believe in what Jesus did on the cross that could set us free. And so today I pray, God, I know that there are some people here today who needed to hear this message, who needed to hear about these men who followed you. And I know there are some people here today that today's the day. Today is the day of their salvation when they would repent and believe and become a part of the kingdom of God. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give them the courage to pray, to receive that faith. Just with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to do, I don't, we don't do this a lot, but today I just feel moved to do this today, to invite you to pray a prayer like this, just after me, just in your heart. Just pray a prayer like this, if that's you today, if you want to trust Jesus for salvation. Just repeat this in your own heart, in your own mind. Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize I'm broken and I'm lost. And today I repent. I turn to you in faith. I believe that Jesus went to the cross for me, for my sins. And I trust you today for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for saving me and inviting me into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.